everybody, this is Keach Rainwater here at the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I just want to thank everybody for tuning in, and I know I said it last week, but uh, how much I appreciate everybody listening to me ramble on about one thing or another, and uh, hopefully what I have to say uh, will, you know, either entertain you or educate you or both or whatever, but I just want to say thank you for tuning in, and I really appreciate all my listeners. It's so awesome to have a place to kind of like talk about stuff and I have experienced so much in the last 40 years of my career and I know last week I talked about it being sort of a milestone Uh, that very week last week 40 years ago I started this journey and that's been going great and I thought this week I would talk about uh, some questions that I've been asked uh, in the kind of recently, you know, in the past you know, year or so, something like that. Um, and I thought I would break it down into seven different questions that I've been asked. Now, I'm sitting down here in my basement studio right now, and I'm drinking coffee. So if you hear me sip a cup of coffee every once in a while, um, or if you want to join me in a cup of coffee, you can pause it right now. Go get yourself a cup of coffee, join me, and uh, we'll share a cup of coffee together. But I wanted these seven questions in this conversation to sort of sound like uh, you know, we're just sitting down talking and you're asking me questions. Uh, and I am answering the questions to the best of my ramblings that I can do. So uh, I'm going to take a sip of coffee here and we will get started here. Okay. Seven, the top seven questions that I've been asked. I've been asked a lot of questions over the years, but these are the top seven that I sort of compiled. And I thought I would just talk about each one for a little bit. And I hope, um, that, a little bit of it, will maybe some stories along the way, and maybe it'll answer some questions about the music business, or maybe not. But hopefully it'll be entertaining either way. So, let's get started. Here we go. The one question, now I didn't put these in order, like top ten or anything like that. Like the number one question that I get at, it's more like uh, I just kind of randomly listed them in no particular order. Okay, so I will start with... Um, one question I get is, how long have you been playing drums? How long have you been playing drums, and when did you start? Okay, so I have been playing drums professionally as a job, as a career, getting paid um, since 1982, since spring of 1982, so that's been 40 years. So I've been playing for 40 years, but it does go back further than that, and I actually remember the very first time I ever sat down at a drum kit i kind of wanted to be a drummer and i thought it would be cool and i was really fascinated by the whole drum kit thing and every i noticed that every time i got around real drums whether it be in school or my mom used to play guitar and sing and sometimes the places that she would play she never had a drummer in her thing she always just sang by herself but she would be playing in these places that had a stage set up and a bigger band, like a, a, a real, like a band playing later on, on the weekend or something. And she would do sort of a happy hour thing, playing her guitar and singing and all that. But I would look at the drums back there and I would just be fascinated by them. And this would have been about the mid seventies or so when I was about 13 or 11, 12, 13, something like that. Um, but when I was about 13, I will say I was walking around my neighborhood and I was out doing something I don't know riding my bike or something like that and I heard something that sounded different to me it sounded like different than somebody playing the radio or somebody uh turning the stereo up in their house or something like that 
this was real drums. I could hear live drums being played somewhere in my neighborhood. And I, w- I was just, I was so completely taken by surprise that there was real drums in my neighborhood. Like somebody was a real drummer that I never knew about in my neighborhood. And I grew up in Plano, Texas. And we had, our neighborhood was a bunch of cul-de-sacs. It was a bunch of long streets that would you'd go down about maybe a quarter of a mile. And it would be like a, a circle. And there's houses all along this little road and circle and everything. We were at the bottom of the circle. So I would ride my bike up and down these little cul-de-sacs. And I heard drums coming from somewhere. And I could tell that they were live drums. I knew they sounded a little bit different in open air than, say, like a speaker. And I, I didn't know anything about music and fidelity and electronics or anything like that back then. But I did know in my, somehow in my mind, I figured out that these drums were coming from like a real drum kit. I could tell. And um, especially back in the 70s, you know, we had good speakers back then, but they weren't, unless you had a big full PA and it was going to be like some big rock concert, most people's home stereo speakers couldn't produce the kind of fidelity that you would hear from a live drum kit, like real cymbals and real drums. And also in in open air, they kind of echo differently. There's just a different kind of sound with live drums, and I've always been able to narrow down on it. So I'm walking around my neighborhood, I mean, actually on my bike or whatever, and I was riding around, and I finally, I got closer, I'd stop and listen, and finally found where it was coming from, this friend of mine's garage. They had, he had just, or his dad had just bought this drum kit that somebody was selling. And even though this kid wasn't a drummer, nobody I knew in my neighborhood was a drummer. Uh, he did play a little bit of guitar and he sang and stuff, but his dad bought this drum kit, I guess in hopes to try and for his son to try and put a band together or whatever. And as I got closer, I noticed there was a guitar player playing, an older guy. He was probably 20 something and this hippie kind of guy playing guitar with an amp. He had a guitar and an amp. And there was no PA or anything, but it was just a drum setup. And the kids in the neighborhood were all taking turns, lined, almost lined up. You know, They were all taking turns playing these drums. Nobody knew how to play them. Everybody was just kind of banging around and smashing around. And this poor guitar player was trying to play rock music with these kids that didn't know, couldn't play anything. And uh, But it was a really nice little drum kit. And I think it was a Ludwig drum kit and it was all set it was set up good like they set it up right pretty much and so i waited and waited and waited and waited my turn and i thought man i'm gonna get to play like real drums every i'm gonna i'm gonna get a turn so um i I know it would be a terrible story if i said like uh like they said at the last second before i got up they said nope sorry we're gonna have to put the drums away or something like that but no that's not what happened um i actually did get to play i got up there and i was just wide-eyed it was like sitting in the cockpit of a 747 all of a sudden I was like at a real drum kit and it was so it was such an experience for me to actually be sitting there holding drumsticks on a real drum kit with cymbals and I was just I didn't know what to I mean I already kind of knew how to play drums I knew how to play a beat but I'd never played on a drum kit before I just kind of played with pencils and at my desk and tapped my foot and kind of I sort of knew what drums went where and how to play a simple beat and uh, the, the guitar player said, hey, what do you want to play? And I said, what was that song you were playing a minute ago? And he said, China Grove by the Doobie Brothers. And um, so I said, okay, yeah, I think I know that one. And so he started playing, and the drums came, and I started playing the drums and kept a beat with it. And then we did the whole song 
just by memory, you know, I just remembered how it was, how it sounded on the radio. And um, we uh, pl- finished the song and it was sounded pretty cool. And I was just like, yeah, this is fun. I can actually play these real drums. I knew I could, but I just never had the experience of doing it. So I got up there and, uh, you know, played this song. And then the guitar player, I remember sort of after the song, he sort of paused for a second, looked at me and said, hey, um, you're really good. He goes, how long have you been playing drums? And I said, this is my first time. <laughs> I just remember it was kind of encouraging to me that he had said, wow, you're really good. And uh, of course, I wasn't good. I was just, I just could just was better than sort of the neighborhood kids, you know, at that point. And, uh, but I, I thought that there might be a future in it for me. And I really, my heart was beating, a, you know, a lot faster than the song, I suppose. And uh, that was kind of like the beginning for me. That was my first experience. And that was in 1976. So, in answer to this question, how long have you been playing drums? And when did you start? I would say that that was kind of a start. I would, that's probably a technical, like, real answer to that question. How long have you been playing drums? I've been playing drums since that, I guess it was a spring day in 1976, riding my bicycle around and hearing real drums and going and seeking them out and finding them and then just like getting on that kit and playing for the first time in 1976. And then I, so at that point I knew I wanted to be a drummer and that kind of thing. And um, I had a little epiphany when I was, uh, I think it was that same year I was playing trumpet in the school band and I was coming from the band hall after school and I stopped and sat down on my drum sorry my trumpet case I sat down on my trumpet case like a little chair it was kind of a metaphor sat down on it used it as a chair and I was watching these kids play in this school cafeteria stage that we had they were rehearsing for the talent show and I think they were playing wildfire by Michael Martin Murphy and I sat there and watched one of our trombone players from band that I knew play the drums and he was counting the song off and they were rehearsing it and they were stopping and fixing things and playing it again and that's the first time I'd ever seen a band like a band not not like a school band but a band like with drums guitar and bass and all that work out a song with no band director nothing just the just those musicians together stopping and talking about the song and what part is missing and what if you played that instead of that and they sort of working that out and rehearsing a song and that just struck me that was the epiphany that started it for me that I knew at that very moment that that's what I wanted to do sort of for the rest of my life so um that's how it started it was started playing that drum kit in the neighborhood and then uh looking at watching somebody do it and playing and rehearsing and thinking like okay yeah now this is real I this is a feeling in my heart and my soul that I want to do. This is me. That's me up there. I see my future. So I kept playing the trumpet for a few years, but secretly wanting to play drums or focus more on drums, and which I did in the 10th grade. I quit the trumpet, and I think there was like an art class or something that, that conflicted with band. And I really wanted to take this art class because I wanted to learn how to draw and that kind of thing. And I really wanted to take this art class because a friend of mine was taking it too. And I was looking for a way to kind of get out of playing trumpet and get into playing drums, and I thought, this is a good sign right here. This is a good uh, entrance into uh, playing drums and an exit from playing trumpet. Now, I still play trumpet from you know time to time, and I enjoyed it and all that, but I wasn't in the school band anymore. I was just playing drums on my own, practicing a lot, and by that time, I'd actually had not a full drum kit, but I had a parts of a drum kit that I was kind of sort of 
put together myself. You know, I sort of augmented it and fixed everything that needed to be fixed. So it's kind of a homemade slash, you know, store-bought kind of drum kit. It was enough for me to play, you know, to play like had a bass drum and uh, a snare kind of and some toms and things like that. So I could listen in my headphones and play along with the radio or records or whatever. Boston was my favorite band at that time. And I would sit there for hours and practice Boston songs, my headphones on. And to me, those drums sounded like Boston to me because I had the headphones on, right? So no matter what I was, it was almost like a practice pads. They might as well have been practice pads, but I was playing and in my ears in my headphones, my Radio Shack headphones, they sounded like Boston. And that was very encouraging and kept me going and kept me going. So from 1976 up until now, uh, I have been actually playing drums, but for a living officially since 1982, in the spring of 1982, when I got my first job. Someone finally took a chance on me and said, okay, I know you've never played in a band before, uh, like a, a professional band. I'd been in some garage bands and things, but that those never went anywhere. So uh, that was my start. And then, so the next, I'm going to take a sip of coffee here and we'll get to the next question. Okay, so the next question on the list here, what kind of drums do you play? Um, this is an interesting story, and I think that even if you're not a drummer, this would maybe be a little bit interesting to you in that I don't play one specific kit. Okay, so I used to play Mapex drums because I had an endorsement with them. And that kind of went away after a few years, you know, and I still played Mapex. I still played my Mapex drums. And then I played a PDP kit, which is made by DW. I really liked DW hardware a lot better than I did Mapex hardware. So my kit sort of became... A Mapex kit with DW hardware because I like the hardware better. And then uh, I had a drum kit that I had painted for a video shoot that I was directing. And they needed a drum kit painted like an American flag, red, white, and blue with stars and stripes and all that. So I had an old drum kit sitting around, an old Mapex kit that I hadn't used in a while. One of the toms had faded or something. The, the color had faded on one of the toms. And it was one of the more important toms, so I couldn't use that kit anymore unless I had it repainted. So I just decided I had that one in storage, so I decided to go ahead and have an artist paint that kit up, like red, white, and blue. And then I had, over the years, we were doing a rehearsal or something, and I used that kit, and the guys in the band in Lone Star were saying, hey, this is really cool. This would be perfect for, like, the 4th of July, a show that we have coming up. Maybe you could bring that kit and play that one for the 4th of July. It'd be cool. So I did. And then everybody liked how they looked and everything so and the way they sounded. So I went ahead and had a guy clear coat the kit. So it was just basically painted with, at that time, was painted with um, acrylic paint and just for the video shoot kind of thing. And then I played him that one time. But to be on the road with a kit, I think it has to be have some kind of a glossy, like a clear coat. So the paint doesn't chip off and you don't end up with uh, paint chips in your drum cases that are on stage every night. So I had a friend of mine clear coat it, did a great job, but even put a little bit of sparkles in there, like sparkle paint. Um, not, not sparkle paint, but a little bitty, tiny little bit of sparkle that you would put in like a car if you paint a car. It has a little bit of that uh, sparkly kind of thing to it. And he did that, and they look great, and I played those for a couple of years. They were Mapex. And then I thought, well, I, w- I would like to have a different I think it was time to repaint them because I kind of got tired of the red white and blue flag thing so I wanted something different and I thought steampunk would be kind of cool I've always enjoyed steampunk now if you don't know what steampunk is it's a style it's an aesthetic 
that is, it could be a computer keyboard or it could be a bicycle or it could be a, a, um, a anything. It could be a lamp. It could be, it's a style that sort of beckons back to the early 1900s. And the reason they call it steampunk, I don't know where the punk came from, but um, back when the technology of the day back then was steam, everything was kind of run by steam, the um, steam locomotives and you had steam. So steampunk is, uh, if I could just uh, describe what it looks like, it's like gears, uh, steam pipes. uh, It's got a lot of gauges and dials and sort of a lot of copper, a lot of uh, brass, a lot of things like that. So if you had a steampunk keyboard for your computer, you can buy them now. It would look a little bit more like an old, like the actual keys on the keyboard of your USB keyboard for your computer would would look like the little round metal keys on a typewriter, like on a mechanical typewriter. And that's really cool. I don't have one of those, but I've always wanted to get one. But I'm a big fan of the steampunk thing, so I thought it would be cool to have a drum kit painted uh, like steampunk or at least have a wrap sort of have like a, a pictures of that. And so I talked to a friend of mine who painted cars and motorcycles and things like that. And he did a great job of airbrushing these gears and pipes and steam little gauges and things like that all over the drum kit. And not only that, he, he added in where it looked like, uh, it sort of looked like a monster came in and tore open the metal to expose the gears. And so there's like, looks like ripped metal open or it exploded or something. And you can look inside there in the shadows of this, this is all airbrushed, by the way, you look down in there and there's gears and things like that. So very, very mechanical looking. And I really love it. I've had a lot of compliments about this kit. And I thought also it would give me the opportunity to, since I'm having it custom painted anyway, to mix a couple of drum kits together because I'm a big fan of Yamaha drums. I have a Yamaha kit for recording in the studio and they make really good sounding drums. And I wanted so the kit that I had, the Mapex kit, didn't have a 13-inch tom, and I wanted my first tom of, you know, when you have the toms across the front, you got the first, second, third, and sometimes there's four toms, but I just play with three toms. The first, second, and third tom, I thought it would be cool for the first tom, instead of 12 inches, to be 13. So I found a Yamaha 13-inch Yamaha recording series tom that was 13 inches that I bought off of eBay, and then I just threw that in with the kit to be painted and also, I thought the floor tom, I like the sound of a Yamaha recording series floor tom. It just has a real gutsy sound to it. So I found one of those on eBay too. So I had a floor tom and a high tom, a 13-inch tom. And so the middle tom, the 14-inch, is still a Mapex tom. It's from that Mapex kit that I had painted. Everything else, the kick drum and everything else is all Mapex. But the first tom and the third tom are Yamaha drums. And if you're a drummer that knows your drums and you look up at my kit you can look at the hardware by hardware i mean on each drum the lugs where the lugs screw into the drum you could tell they're different but if you didn't know that you would look at the kit and think it was all just one kit it's all been painted the same i've had a lot of compliments about that so an answer a very long-winded answer well you know we're having coffee we're talking so i can i I feel i feel good about giving you a long-winded answer to this question um it's Mapex and Yamaha together, so I call it Yamapex. That's just my name that I give them, sort of Yamaha and Mapex together. And I do have a Ludwig. Uh, so I have a Ludwig kit, Ludwig, for acoustic shows. So when we play acoustic shows, I have a small little cocktail kit that I play, and that is Ludwig. And only because I found this kit 
at the drum store. I was in there one day looking for a little cocktail kit to play with our acoustic shows. And in our acoustic shows, I sit up front with the rest of the guys with a small, I used to just play a snare drum and a tambourine, which I've done, I still do sometimes. But uh, so I got this little cocktail kit that sets up front and it's very small. And I was looking for something like a real small bass drum. So I found this one with a 16 inch bass drum very small for a bass drum and a little stand that it goes on so that when you hit the pedal it hits in the middle of the drum and not way up high because it's such a small drum that you have to kind of mount it up high so there's that and a floor tom basically and my snare and uh, a little hi-hat and I use the crash ride cymbal but that's those are Ludwig drums that I use for that kit for that little acoustic thing and I have been a Zildjian cymbal endorser for over 20 years, I think it was in the early 2000s when I started, uh, sorry, it was in the late 90s, it was 97 or something like that, when I started with Zildjian, and they have been so good to me over the years, huge, huge kudos to Zildjian for being such a great company to me, and always coming through when I needed, like if I'm out on the road and I have some cracked cymbals or something and I needed some replacements, they would overnight them to me which that's just over, way over and beyond any company that I've ever heard of before, um, especially because they're giving me free symbols. And I'm basically for, they're getting just me, my name, saying that I play Zildjian symbols, and I'm getting all these free symbols over the years. And they actually sent me a plaque um, when it was 20 years. I think it was in 07 or something like that, I think, because I'd been in with them since 97, I think. I think it was 07, I believe, that I got a plaque from them that said, congratulations, 20 years as a symbol, uh, Zildjian symbol endorser. And I thought, you're giving me a plaque? That's I should be giving you a plaque. But um, anyway, they're great. I love Zildjian symbols, and I have been using them since the beginning of my career. Uh, also, Promark sticks I uh, use, Promark oak. 5B nylon oak sticks are my favorites. Although lately... Because, because of shipping and things like that, I've had to use the hickory ones because the oak ones come from Japan, and the hickory ones are here in America. So I've been using the hickory ones just because they weren't available for a little while with the whole pandemic thing and shipping and all that. was, there was a, They were held up for a while. So anyway, I've been playing hickory and loving those, and I use also Evans drum heads, which I just recently got an endorsement with them, with Evans. So... They are great. I love Evan's heads. They sound amazing. And it wasn't a thing like uh, I, they approached me or whatever. I was just trying to get free heads or anything. It was like I really did switch to Evan's. I went from um, from Remo to Evan's because my sound man had told me to try. He really liked the sound of Evan's heads. And he asked me if I, could, if I would try some Evan's heads, and I did, and I absolutely loved them. Like I see what he was talking about when he said you should try Evan's because there's a couple of – series of Evans heads that they make that are great, great for playing on the road, and they're real durable, and they sound really good. Anyway, so there's the answer to that. Yamaha, Mapex, Ludwig for my acoustic shows, Zildjian, Promark, and Evans. That's the kind of drums that I play. So on to the next question. Let me get a sip of coffee here. Okay, on to the next question. How did you get into country music, and why country? Well, I'll tell you, the very first band that I played in, the Doc Apple Band from Plano, Texas, the, uh, actually literally 40 years ago, 
they were they started out as a country band, so they knew all of the country songs. But they were transitioning into a show band. And in Dallas at the time, there was a bunch of showrooms all around town, all around Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington, and beyond that were showrooms that were actually, you know, you could play anything. You could play, they weren't really rock clubs, but you could play pop music and that kind of thing, not heavy rock. But there were a lot of bands in Dallas that would play the sort of top 40. I think we just called it top 40. And it, at that time, top 40 considered was considered country too. Or country was considered top 40. You had people like uh, Charlie Daniels. Um, you had uh, Reba, uh, Reba McIntyre, I think, was, was out then. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe. But the country genre was sort of mixed in with pop. So you'd hear country artists sometimes, Glenn Campbell, people like that, Johnny Cash. You would hear those people on pop radio, Dolly Parton, people like that. They were considered pop artists too, but they were in the country genre. But this band that I played with, the Doc Apple Band, were they were primarily a country band starting out, and then they were transitioning into being a show band. So we were working up, when I joined the band, we had started working up a show, like a variety show that had nostalgic music in it from like Elvis and um, like Gladys Knight, and we had a little bit of the Beatles in there, and it was a show that we did sort of uh, talking about the history of, of rock, of pop music, starting out with sort of Elvis and, or actually the Andrews Sisters. We did a, we did Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, which since I played trumpet, I got to play a little opening trumpet part. That was pretty cool. So we, we worked up this whole show, but that band was primarily a country band, and we did a lot of gigs that were, you know, sort of country gigs. There was one place up in, uh, in Denison, Denton, Denison, Denison, Texas, called Calhoun's, and anybody who's from Dallas, and especially a musician from Dallas, Fort Worth area, they know what I'm talking about because everybody has played, had played Calhoun's. I don't know if it's there anymore, but it was there for decades and decades, and I think I think only recently it's gone away or it's become something else or whatever. And uh, feel free to reach out to me and tell me if it is still up and going to correct me there. But I think I heard that it's not. A country club anymore but it was a country club for the longest time and we got to go in there as a show band or whatever but when we played calhoun's it was a dance club and it was a place where you could go and dance country two-step that kind of thing on the dance floor so we were expected to and hired to play country music and we were a country band primarily so that got me started and in answer to the question how did you get into country that is how i got into country basically as i started out in that band and then that band led to another band and sort of started the whole DNA of me being a country drummer. Now I have been in some rock bands before here and there, but they never really they never really saw the light of day. They never really did a lot. But um I was in a few rock bands and um made some money playing, you know, but one thing I discovered with rock, especially back then, is that you were either the biggest thing, like you had a record deal and a bus and you traveled and you did these big shows, or you were nothing. You were in the garage. There really wasn't very much middle ground there. But in country music, you could actually play, like you could be a weekend, what we call a weekend warrior. You could go out and play country on the weekends and have a day job during the week and do that. Um, there were a lot, of, a lot of places and still are places that, that have live bands 
only on the weekends. And the rest of the week is kind of like the jukebox or DJ or something like that. Um, so I would play a lot of country and be a lot of these places. Oh, and making my point about country music, you could actually be in a garage playing just country music for fun, or you could go out and make a little bit of money on the weekends, or you could go full-time and play, but not even have a record deal, but just be a full-time, which is how we made our living in Lone Star, in Texas E, back before Lone Star, it was Texas E, how we made our living. We didn't have another job. We were full-time, but we played cover music and we played all these dance clubs and things like that traveled around and that kind of thing dallas fort worth had used to have a lot of country clubs and there was a whole a nucleus of about i don't know seven or eight or more bands that would that would rotate in all these clubs you know there were bands like stallion and there were bands like ty herndon was a big uh, uh his band played around there a lot uh, i was in a band called canyon that played a lot of the dance clubs and things around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You, you could make your living playing just in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and not even have to leave town and play country music. Now, rock, I would say I never knew of any place that supported that many rock bands around town. You would either have to play for free or you'd have to get a record deal and go out on the road or whatever. I didn't know very many ways that you could make a living playing rock music back then and still make a living. So that's kind of what got me into country music was just by necessity. And it was always just the easiest thing for me to do to get a job. I was a good enough drummer to play in country. Not to say that a country drummer is easy to do. You know, it does take a lot of skill and you have to know a lot of things, but you could, it was a good entry level. You know, you could play a steady beat. Like for instance, um, I would say Waylon Jennings music. Most of his songs, you could probably play with just a bass drum. It's just like boom, 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 or what we would call four on the floor. If you could do that, you could probably play in a band, in a country band. And then, of course, it went up from there. You would get fancy schmancy and play, be a really, really good player and add all the big fills. And, of course, I used to do a drum solo, even in the country bars and stuff like that where we'd play. They would let me, they would turn me loose, and I would do crazy things like play a big long drum solo and stand up on my stool. People used to love that when I would stand up on my stool and play the drums and beat on them and stuff. It looked like animal back there just going crazy. I had long blonde hair at the time and I don't know, it was a showy thing, I suppose for a country band to have a drummer that's like standing up on his stool and playing. It was pretty crazy. And, uh, that just kind of led to another band and another band. And that got me into Texas E and then eventually into, we, changed our name to Lone Star, and here I am still playing country music and uh, kind of what I started with. So I really stuck with it. It's done me well, and I'm not going to change a thing. So I'm going to have another sip of coffee. Okay, these are good questions. Okay, the next one, this is kind of funny. This is more of a young person question, but I have had people, adults, ask me this question before. Are you a millionaire? Because, you know, that's a really good question because um, a lot of times when you look at an artist up on stage and you see that they're traveling on a bus and they're, you know, they got records out and the hits and things like that, you just assume that they live in a mansion and that they're probably a millionaire because you've seen movies before with, you know, big rich artists that live in a mansion and that kind of thing. And they have like a, a security gate or a security guard outside or something like that. 
Now, there are country musicians or country singers or whatever, artists that do live like that. And they do write their own songs and they do, they are millionaires. But I'm not one of them. The answer is no, I'm not a millionaire. But to add to that, I will say I have made over the years millions of dollars, you know, over the years. I've made more than a million, I would say, you know, if you counted it all. I don't know if that, I don't know what actually constitutes a millionaire. If it's like how much money you have right now, like your worth, your net worth right now, are you worth more than a million dollars? That would be a millionaire, I would think. But, or does it mean that you've made, you've, your revenue stream over the years has accumulated more than a million dollars? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Feel free to reach out to me and tell me what that the definition of that means but so to add to that a little bit i will talk a little bit about one of the regrets that i have i don't have a lot of regrets about my career and about the things i've done but i will say one of the things that i do regret not doing uh back in the day was back in the 80s when i first started in the 80s you know playing for a living and and traveling around and being with these incredible musicians and writers and stuff like that is is I regret not taking songwriting more seriously because that I probably would be more of a sort of millionaire type person if I had gotten more involved in songwriting because that is really when you break it on down that is really where the wealth comes from in a lot of cases now unless you're a band like ACDC or Journey or something like that that's a big band and you don't have to be a songwriter to make millions of dollars touring doing that that kind of stuff um but i will say that at any level at all writing material having owning having ownership of intellectual property if you know what i mean writing a song writing lyrics writing something even if it's a movie script doesn't matter but more in point with the music business if I had started writing back then, let's just say when Texas E got together and we were all sort of with publishing companies and writing and working for an album, we were to write. We were all writing for the hopes that we would get our song on our own records. But we were also writing for other people too. Just we were all writers, and I say we. I use that loosely. I did actually get a publishing deal with Sony Tree just because I was in the band Lone Star. And they just figured, well, he's not really an active writer, but their thought was if he did co-write with some of the band or had an opportunity to write with other writers, which he will, being in the band Lone Star, being one of the members of the band, that maybe there would be some songs being written and there would be some publishing money there. And I did write over the years. I did write with some people, but I did not enjoy it. It was, wasn't my favorite process, sitting in a room all day, with a guitar. I did play a little guitar, but um, even coming up. Now, I w- here's my regret, is that I wished I would have found a way for it to be more enjoyable for me. Like, in other words, I feel like if I would have back then, and this is what I do now, if I would have come up with a sort of uh, everything except the chord, like the chord of the, and the melody of the song, come up with an idea, a story of the song, what's the song about? maybe even a title. I'm good at titles. I can come up with good titles. 
and the beat of the song, being a drummer, I could talk about, okay, this is a, a shuffle feel, it's kind of an up-tempo thing, or this has that sort of, uh, I don't know, kind of like T-R-O-U-B-L-E from Travis Tritt, that kind of jungle drum thing. I could come up with the idea of the song and then take it to a writing session and say, look, we got two-thirds of the work is done. I've got this idea. I know how the beat should go, and I know what it's about, and I know just, just basically fill in all the blanks for the musician, the more musical person, piano player, guitar player, whatever, mandolin player, banjo player, fiddle player, uh, that would know more about the chord progression and could sort of help fill that out. Um, then the song would, you know, you work on some lyrics together, and then next thing you know, the song's written. If I would have done that, I probably would be more of a millionaire right now instead of really mostly just uh, my income comes from touring and that kind of thing and uh, being a member of Lone Star. So, so yeah, I'm not a millionaire, I don't think, unless the definition is you made millions through your life or whatever, but my net worth right now, I wouldn't say is like millions. Anyway, so moving on. Have you played all over the world? Next question. Have you played all over the world? And uh, the answer is yes and no. Not exactly. I've played a lot of places in the world, and I will list some of my favorite places or places that I've been other than the U.S. of A. And this isn't including sort of like the islands, like I know we've been, I've been to the Cayman Islands and things like that, but um, other than that, other countries. So Canada, obviously, we played Canada a lot, and my daughter is from Canada. I was married to a a wonderful Canadian lady for a while that was with CMT Canada, and that's my connection with Canada, and that's why my daughter is Canadian, and I go up there a lot, and uh, I am, I consider myself part Canadian. I'm sort of half Canadian, I think, because I used to have an apartment up there. I have traveled there a whole lot. I've traveled there so much, it feels like a second home to me, so I kind of consider myself half Canadian, even though I'm not literally half Canadian. I'm fully American. My passport is American and all that, but my daughter... Amelie, she has an American passport and a Canadian passport because she has dual citizenship, which is really cool. I think she'll learn to appreciate that when she gets older. So I have, um, yeah, been to Canada a lot. The UK, you know, London, uh, we play, we toured all over, all over the UK there, all over England. Like we did Birmingham and, and uh, London and uh, I want to say, um, what was the other place we played? besides Birmingham, um, Manchester, I think, or something like that. Anyway, all over the UK, including Ireland and Scotland and all that. We've been all around there. We played in Switzerland. Now I started playing in Switzerland when I was in Canyon in the late 80s. I had been to Switzerland. We did a big country music festival over there. They love country there. And um, that was quite an experience, going to Switzerland and playing country music and watching them dress up like cowboys and almost like Halloween, you know, costumes, but it's all cowboy, like with, with real guns. And when I, I say real guns, I mean guns with blanks, but they were real guns and they had blanks in them and they'd shoot them at the ceiling like they'd seen on cowboy movies and things like that from the U.S. and spaghetti westerns and things like that. That's their idea of country music, or it was anyway, in Switzerland. We played in Norway, played in Germany a couple times, Kuwait. Now this is with um, an organization called Stars for Stripes. Kind of like the 
USO, but not the USO, Stars for Stripes. Kuwait, uh, Qatar. Well, I say Qatar, but it's actually pronounced Qatar, I think. We played in Iraq and did that whole thing where we traveled in helicopters and went out to the forward operating bases and entertained them, sort of little acoustic shows and signed autographs and met with them and met with some of the people in the hospital there and people that were wounded. It was it was a real huge experience in my life. And uh, that is actually when I stopped drinking sodas. <laughs> it sounds funny, but I haven't drank. Uh, I decided I wanted to quit drinking. I was addicted to Diet Coke for a little while there. And I knew a couple other people in my life that I knew real well that were sort of addicted to Diet Coke. And I mean like addicted, like you had to have it. And I didn't like the fact that I was addicted to Diet Coke. So I decided to quit sodas completely. And I thought, well, maybe when we go over to... Uh, Kuwait and Iraq and all that. Maybe that'll be a good opportunity. They won't have much sodas over there, I, th- I thought. And uh, that would be a good opportunity to just quit cold turkey. So I went over there with the intention to quit cold turkey, and I did. But uh, to my surprise, there were sodas all, all over the place. There was, uh, there was, They had tons of them over there. There wasn't a shortage of sodas over there in uh, Iraq. They had a big buffet, and um, we were very well taken care of. But I did actually quit drinking sodas. Haven't had sodas since then. I do drink coffee. Speaking of which, I think I'll have another sip. I hope you're drinking coffee with me and enjoying if you're a coffee drinker. Uh, So, yeah, we've played all over the world. Here's some places that I have not been to at all or played that I want to go to. I haven't been to France. I thought that would be cool to go to France. And I know a lot of people that have been to France. And for somebody like me that travels the world, that has traveled the world, it's strange that I have never been to France before. Japan, never been to Japan. Always wanted to go to Japan. Thought that would be so cool to go to Tokyo. And and what would even be better is if I could somehow either buy or rent or take with me my one wheel over there and ride my one wheel around Tokyo. That would just be so cool. Um, so if anybody over in Tokyo is listening to this and they know some one wheelers over there and a way that I could, if we did decide to go play Japan how I could borrow or rent a one-wheel would be awesome. So anyway, other than that, I have not been to China before. Now China's very intriguing to me, looking, you know, like um, Beijing and all that. I would love to walk around that city or better yet, one-wheel around that city. And even Australia. Never been to Australia before. We have talked about going to Australia so many times, and it's odd that every other band that I've ever talked to that's made records and traveled and that kind of thing – country bands, has been to Australia and done the big Australian tour. And I believe it's like one time a year they get – there's a promoter over there that puts together the the tour and they get all the bands together and they tour all across. It's kind of like a set, a set way that they go. They start out in Melbourne or something like that and they go – or start out in Sydney and then they go to Melbourne and then they go to work their way across the Australia – and where all the big festivals are, and they're all timed out, and that kind of thing. All the times of year that they have their festivals, they bring these country bands, and they do it. We've never done it, which is odd to me. I think that, you know, we would have played Australia by now. And they love our music there, I've heard. Australians love our music. So, yeah. So, I have played all over the world, and I haven't played all over the world. There's places I have not been. So, there you go. All right, the next question I've been asked, if not for Lone Star, what would you be doing? Oh, and this is number seven, by the way. This is the seventh. This is the last question. 
Um, and I'll talk about that. If not for Lone Star, what would you be doing? Well, my number one answer would be I would probably be playing for another band with another band if Lone Star just wasn't anymore. If the rest of my compadres decided they wanted to retire or, or, or had retired a while back, I would. I just love playing drums so much, and it's just the easiest thing for me to do. And that's what I've been doing my whole life. So I would probably be playing with another band or another artist. I would probably put a band together or something. I've always wanted to play in a cover band. I've always I've done cover bands before, like cover, rock cover bands. I know Michael Britt and myself, Michael, our guitar player, and I, we used to have a little cover band that we played back in the early 2000s where we went out and – no, not early – it was more like uh, – no, yeah, it was – it was no, sorry, it was in the – well, we had a little band that we played with John Rich when John Rich was still in the band. We had this little rock project that we worked on, and we did a couple of gigs, me and Michael, with a different singer because that's right around when John left – so we had a little thing then. It wasn't really a cover band, but it was an original rock band. We'd recorded some rock songs and and uh, made this little band called Highway Jones. Highway Jones. And uh, but back in two thousand eight or nine or ten or something like that, Michael Britt and myself and our old lead singer Cody, we had a little cover band that we played rock music and we played a couple of gigs with that, and uh, that was fun. Um, so I think I would either be in a cover band if I wasn't with Lone Star or one other avenue that I would probably be interested in doing is I've been a filmmaker for – when I say filmmaker, I mean like – I don't mean like making movies because I just don't have the time to do that right now. you got to take like a year off and we never took a year off except for COVID and that would have been the perfect time to shoot a movie if – it wasn't the pandemic, and you couldn't shoot. You know, there were limitations and things like that. But I've always wanted to be a filmmaker. I've been making music videos for since the early 2000s, since 2001 or two. I started making music videos for us and other people. And over the years, I've become, I don't know, a little bit of an expert at that. And I've taught taught video making at schools and the library, the Nashville Library. Talked about making music videos and mentored some people having to do with music. And then I think over the years, I've I have lost count how many music videos I've uh, written, directed, um, you know, that kind of thing, produced, whatever you're going to call it. I pretty much did everything. Came up with the concept, um, put together the crew, went out and filmed it. I was director of photography, a DP. Some of them I shot in film, like real film, and uh, which I still have all my really old film gear you know my actual 16 millimeter film gear I have a bunch of that i was a collector for a while i collected cameras and i still have them and someday i'll want to put them on display all my 16 millimeter cameras but even cooler than that is that 16 millimeter is kind of making a comeback now even with digital as amazing as it looks and everything there are some people that love the look of 16 millimeter and want to bring it back and are doing projects, horror films, music videos, commercials even, in 16 millimeters. So I think if I wasn't on the road with Lone Star, wasn't in the in the band Lone Star, I would be probably doing that full-time. I think I really enjoy making commercials and doing music videos and short-term projects like that. And then maybe even if I wasn't on tour doing all that... I would devote my time to making a feature film. And I'm kind of working on that now because I feel like I've figured out a way that I can actually shoot a film and sort of on my own 
time and do it in chapters to where I don't have to take a year off. I don't have to quit the band and go do that for a while and hopes to get my job back. I don't have to even think about that. I can actually, I think I can actually work on a film now, uh, digitally or whatever and still put something together and still have a film and all that. So, still working on that. But I think to answer that question, what would I be doing if I wasn't with Lone Star? So that would be the twofold question. Number one, I'd be either playing drums with another artist, uh, someone hopefully big like, you know, Big and Rich or Keith Urban or Alabama or something like that, you know, um, which is, is – I know sounds really huge, but a good friend of mine, Tommy Harden, who I've had on my uh, podcast recently, he plays for Alabama, and I feel like if he could play for Alabama, I know I could, because I consider uh, him and I as being kind of the same skill level, I think, even though he's a fabulous, fabulous drummer, but I know that I could, uh, with my experience that I've had traveling and all that, um, I would, I could definitely see me playing for someone like Alabama or something like that. But that's only if Lone Star decides to call it quits or whatever, something happens and the rest of the guys retire or whatever. And I don't want to retire. I don't know if and when I'll retire. I think I always like to tell people that I'll be playing drums as long as I'm able, physically able to play drums and I enjoy it still. And I, uh, even the simplest songs playing a cajon, playing just a simple song like Tequila Talking or whatever. I really enjoy that still. It gives me great pleasure to be the drummer in a band and to be traveling and that kind of thing. And I still actually enjoy traveling, believe it or not. Um, But uh, I try to stay humble, and I'm very appreciative, you know, of everybody that's listened to me and come out and seen our shows and complimented me on my drumming style or whatever they say they like to watch me play or whatever um so i hope that answered some of the questions if you have any more questions at all feel free to hit me up on social media um my instagram name is lone drummer and that's with one m so l-o-n-e-d-r-u-m-e-r so it's like lone drummer but with just one m in there and that's me on instagram feel free to dm me on there or comment on one of my I always read the comments on everything I post, especially when it has to do with, um, well, I do anyway on all the, if somebody comments, I try to comment back. But if you have a question about anything, hit me up on there. My Facebook um, is just Keach Rainwater on Facebook. Um, and on YouTube, I have a channel that's Keach Rainwater on YouTube. And I'm trying and trying to post more content. I've just got a new iPhone 13 Pro, and I love it as a filmmaking tool and has a really really amazing camera i feel very confident in shooting stuff out on the road and posting it especially for things like youtube and facebook and instagram i'm getting great results from my new iphone 13 pro and i'm actually working on doing a feature film with it with the 13 pro because i've seen some film work that's been done with the 13 pro i'm very impressed and it really what's my appetite for wanting to do a feature film and seeing the possibility of doing a feature on a phone, which, you know, has been done. And um, I would love to be one of the many in the future that are probably going to shoot feature films 
using the iPhone 13 Pro or iPhone, using iPhones, some of the newer iPhones that are out there. And I think that it's going to actually birth a new genre of films that people will watch digitally, watch it on their phone or on their computer or even on their big screen because these iPhone 13s, they shoot 4K footage, 4K ProRes footage, professional footage. And I can totally see that as being sort of a Netflix approved or whatever, if it's Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever being approved to stream, depending on what the movie is and the content and that kind of thing. I could totally see it being accepting as a thing. So I will try to post more video on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and feel free to ask me any questions that you have that I didn't cover on this was just seven tiny little questions um, that I've been asked over the years. And uh, if you have any more, hit me up on social media and comment and subscribe, whatever you need to do. And you can keep up with me that way. And I really appreciate everybody listening to me and listening to my crazy ramblings about stuff when I was younger and stuff that's going on now. And uh, I'm very excited to share with you guys what's going on in my life. I also have a newsletter that I'm put out every week or try to put out every week not every single week but I try to let you know it's if you want to be included in my newsletter um, send me your email address DM me whatever and uh, you can be a part of my newsletter which I let you know kind of more personally what's going on that I'm doing uh, one wheel stuff and uh, things that I'm into 3d printing whatever you know I'm into a whole bunch of crazy stuff so uh, if you're interested in any of that craziness, then uh, subscribe to my newsletter. Let me know your email address, and I'll send you the link to the newsletter. And um, hoping to get a course going fairly soon about teaching how to be a professional drummer. I've been working on that for a couple of years now, and I'm just trying to get that figured out and how I'm going to teach that and how that's going to work. And I am, I've got some help with that and trying to put it together. So if you're a drummer or want to be a drummer, then uh, keep up with me on that, and soon I will hopefully have a course out that you can purchase and learn all the things that we learned the hard way as professional drummers back in the day, and you could kind of take a, a fast track to going past all that pain and going straight to hopefully the benefits of being a professional drummer, and that's my goal is to try and educate young people and hopefully they don't have to make all the same mistakes that we made and arm them with the information that they need and that will make their job easier and more fun and more rewarding and that kind of thing. And once again, Keach Rainwater here. I am your designated drummer, and I hope you'll tune in next week when who knows who I may have on as a guest or what I'll be rambling about. But I hope you enjoy these and um, stay safe, and I will see you next time. See ya. Thank you.